Hey, Don. Hello, Zach. This week, there's been some articles this summer about the increase in survivalist schools around the country. A lot of people are becoming afraid or anxious as they are looking at the headlines, everything from the droughts, the wildfires, just their political feelings about things. And it's just sort of interesting as you know, maybe we used to think about doomsday preppers as sort of this lonely individual who lives out in the woods, but now it's families that live in the suburbs and in urban areas. And here's the best paragraph I read. Survivalist school instructors across the country say there has been an increasing interest in their wilderness and urban disaster preparedness courses from Americans worried about climate change. As rising temperatures bring more wildfires, droughts, and destructive storms, those types of courses are no longer the domain of campers and hunters. One of these schools' fastest growing demographics is now young families. It was never like that before, said Shane Hobel, founder of the Mountain Scout Survival School. While the costs of survival school training vary across the country depending on levels and duration, Hobel charges $125 per person, $230 per couple, and $460 per family for his Wilderness One class. It's hard to measure the depth of the trend as there's no industry trade association tabulating statistics across the country. But Hobel estimated that increased interest in his course is fueled by 50% climate change and 50% the political stuff. Whichever their particular nightmare scenario, there's a shared concern among some of his clientele that the foundation on which modern society rests is increasingly fragile. And Don, this article was just kind of fascinating, talking about what happens at some of these schools, the kind of people that go to these schools. What did you think about the article? It's easy to fall down into the well with this article and start thinking, what is my preparations? And it quickly got me thinking about how I would handle a various situation that seems very, very, very unlikely. But yet the steps are clear. Get a motorcycle, get a go bag, get uh, all these, a plan for where you're going to go and have all these things ready to go. It's intriguing to think about. It's intriguing to think about, almost romantic to think about, right? I feel like in reading this article, you could sit here and then think of every disaster movie you've ever seen or every movie where one person survives against the wilderness and think, now it's my time. I'm going to do this. And I could just see where people's anxiety maybe go to this like absolute extreme. But that final sentence I just read, the foundations on which modern society rests is increasingly fragile. What do you think about that? I had a really hard time just saying it's all just about ready to break, I guess. I don't think that's the case. I think that many people believe that it's uh, we're on the precipice of some sort of nightmarish scenario. But I, it seems much less likely. People, the, one of the articles we read talked about the people that were prepping for the Soviet nuclear bombing of the United States and the uh, bomb shelters and whatnot. That was close. It seemed to be very, very close. But now I'm not sure I see the situation where everything collapses the way it is currently happening in Afghanistan right now. Right. There was a National Geographic article that we also read about kind of the modern doomsday prepper and as you said, like throughout the 20th century, America had sort of these civil defense plans where we had ideas of where Americans would go. Or we were building bomb shelters in public buildings to hide people. But those plans all seemed like they were set up for some sort of like a Russian invasion. The problem now is people seem more afraid about drought and wildfires and the idea of sea levels rising and displacement of people. 
But at the same time, these schools themselves are teaching skills like building a shelter out of like leaves and twigs or drinking water from vines or setting a rabbit trap. Those sort of skills, are they actually going to match with what it is people are going to need if some sort of apocalypse happens? Well, if you live in a wildfire area, it seems to be very wise to have a plan and a way to get out quick. I, if I was in that situation, I would have a motorcycle or two enough to get out of a clogged road and get gone fast with a go bag. But that's not anticipating the collapse of government and society. That seems to be what the focus is more here. And if society and government collapse altogether, then you have lots of problems because you're not the only one hunting for rabbits. There's gonna be a lot of people hunting for rabbits or anything else of food sources and shelter. And I don't think we realize how much we depend on gas and electricity. Um, We've had electricity out in our neighborhood for about a week and for some houses and people really are struggling. I mean, it's, it's romantic to think for the first week after that, I think it's going to get pretty hard. Well, but this is where the disconnect is. And this is why I just thought this article was so interesting was the number of families that are now doing this. They talked about lots of kids under the age of nine that are going with their parents. And it looks like in some ways, it's just kind of like going to camp and there's some bonding going on. Maybe the Boy Scouts and the Girl Scouts kind of got it right when teach some people some wilderness survival skills. There's nothing wrong with that. But the anxiety of people, they talk about people who like live in Manhattan who are now taking these sorts of courses. And you yourself just said, well, I'm going to get a motorcycle. But all I could think is, you live in a wonderful suburb in, in southeastern Michigan here. Where are you going to ride to? Are you going to ride to another suburb? Or are you going to go ride to the woods to go save you and your family? I, I, I just don't know where you're going. And the assumption that all of modern society is just gone. I mean, aren't, don't we still have all these planned communities that we live around? And don't we have all this infrastructure? Why are we all of a sudden running to the woods to save ourselves? I feel like we're forgetting that like most of America now is just this huge urban landscape. Well, I was speaking specifically if I was fleeing a wildfire area and that motorcycles help you get out easier than cars and trucks on jammed roadways and whatnot. I thought about here, I, I, like you said, I live in a nice subdivision. I have plenty of space. There's deer everywhere. I'm pretty sure I'm not leaving my house. There's a river a mile away. I can get, I have a water purification set from backpacking trip. So Yeah, I'm not leaving here. I'm not sure where I would go, where I'd be more food secure or safe. But I'm also not really prepared for this coming apocalypse. I'm not anticipating it. I don't really believe it's coming. Part of this seems to be a real uh, focus on weapons and being able to protect your family. I have a sock full of nickels and some bear spray, and that's how I can protect (laughs) my family. I, I don't think society is coming to an end here, but that seems to be the end result. But You make another point about it being family thing. And I think it is a fun family thing. Our kids love survival shows and have for years. We have flint and steel because we'd practice doing stuff because they thought it was interesting and neat. And we've learned all this stuff and done backpacking trips to try to experience and plan this. It's just something fun to do together as a family. I don't think all of it is these people that see the downfall coming instantly. And you might be very right, but both of these articles just seem to kind of talk about a lot of anxiety that's out there where people just think we're really close to something bad happening where I guess we've got to leave our homes. That's the part that I keep thinking is, well, wouldn't you want to just stay in your same place and and continue to make things work there? Whereas everybody's mindsets in these articles is that we're going to go back to becoming 
hunters and gatherers. And I, I just think that that sort of seemed sort of extreme. But at the same time, I guess I was also just sort of interested in like the psychology of this is where is this coming from where everybody is is so anxious and and I get it. Maybe they're just on their Apple news feed all day, just scrolling headlines. And let's face it, the headlines this summer have not been that fun between climate change and droughts and water scarcity and the Delta variant. And therefore, I could see we could get pretty wrapped up and start thinking like it's all going to end. But I'm still just kind of trying to, I guess, piece together why are people getting to this conclusion where the solution is that we're going to go take survivalist schools. And then the biggest thing is, it seems like everybody wants to go live alone. There was somebody who was pushing back in the article where they were like, look, you know, we should be prepared and have resilient and connected communities. One of the most important things is that people are ready to help each other and embrace whatever disaster may come together. But yet Americans and like their kind of cowboy mentality is like everybody's just preparing alone for this. First of all, the idea that people are interested in this and think about this, I think it gives them something to do. It gives them a way to rely on themselves and think that, okay, I'm prepared for this. And it's when there's bad things happening and you can do nothing, that's the most frustrating thing in the world. But if there's bad things happening and there's something you can do, then you feel a little better. You feel like you're effective. And so I think that's what it is. People feel effective when they're doing all these preparations and they know that they're doing something and they have a plan, then they give some peace of mind. So that's the one thing. The other thing that you're mentioning is the individual thing. Yeah, in a broad swath of America, it seems like people want to rely on the individual because they mistrust the group. But that's fundamentally wrong. What makes America such a wealthy society and developed nations such successful societies is that we do depend on each other. That one farmer can feed something like 10,000 people. So that allows the other 9,999 to do other things, which means more services rendered, more uh, wealth. And so we depend on each other in a small group, in a big group. If we are to be in a situation where survival is the most essential thing, then wouldn't it be better to find somebody that knows how to hunt if you know how to fish and if somebody else knows how to cook over a wood fire and you can specialize and do what you're good at. And then you have a better chance. But I think it's the finding the people that you trust. And, and I like that your point about being interconnected. And that was the one thing that I noticed seemed to be kind of missing from a lot of these articles was just the idea that everybody's now going about it alone. Or I almost feel like you and I, because we're, we didn't go to wilderness survival camp this summer, we're going to be the ones laughed at or the people that did get prepared if all of a sudden the end comes, you and I are just going to be kind of, I guess, walking alone along the road or the side of the road. And those who know how to make a fire, I guess, are just going to be laughing at us and not inviting us over. I, there, there seemed to be just sort of a sad statement about people getting prepared and, and ready to, you know, kind of leave the other people off to the side because they didn't get prepared. And I, I think you're right. Like humans need each other, right? The, the collective society that we live in needs itself. And I just think there's a weird message here about the individual again, or the, the lone cowboy, if you will. Well, the focus is misguided. If there's a tremendous failure in society, then the people that are going to be the most likely to be hurt are those that are the most fragile in both income security, food security, but also health. When we had power outages, when we had heat waves in the South, 
it was people that were unhealthy, that had tremendous physical problems that were the ones that are likely to die or the ones that couldn't afford to run their air conditioner. These are the people that are suffering the most. And so even if we do have this situation, that's who suffers. I mean, I have a generator. I'm ready if the power goes out. It didn't go out of my house, but if it did, I'd be okay. We're all healthy enough. We can live without air conditioning, even if it's really hot. We have a big house. We have a basement that's cool. We have food stored up. These are all things that not necessarily other people have. If you really depend on electricity for your breathing machine or oxygen treatments or whatever it is, then you're in tremendous danger. These are the people that maybe should be preparing, but it's preparing for a week without electricity or a week without food. Or those are the things that we really need to worry about because if society crumbles to a halt, I'm not sure the survival skills will help you the most. I don't know what will help you. We're just starting over. Maybe go to Somalia, take a field trip, see what it's like to not have a government for 20 years. That's right. And isn't that everybody's kind of zombie apocalypse sort of fantasy or fear is that all of a sudden everything just disappears. There's no social services. There's no government. There's no bureaucracy. And everybody's just sort of walking around America, I guess, protecting themselves or trying to steal from one another. And everybody just sort of like loses their mind. And a part of me could just sort of see it being a little less uh, dramatic than that. But I don't know. Uh, you've also, I mean, this is what kind of makes it interesting is it's not like this is, again, just sort of a, a small segment of the population is the, Na the National Geographic article talked about how you've got your, your silicon billionaires and millionaires that have bought old missile silos and they've sort of built their own bunkers and they've got private security teams. And in a way, like they're kind of also preparing in their own way for some sort of horrific end to everything. And usually those are the people on the cutting edge. They're the people on the know uh, that can kind of predict the trends. Should that make us more concerned? Well, it's a unifying moment, I think. It's the people that are in poverty are the ones that are interested in this, as well as the extremely wealthy people. And they're all intrigued by this idea. I came downstairs the other day and my son was watching Mr. Beast on YouTube. He's a very popular YouTuber. And he was checking out a, a, a missile silo that's been changed to a prepper place where you can be safe if you have all the money in the world and Navy SEALs will guard you. And there was a New Yorker article about that too. It spans all levels of news and media and income barriers. Everybody's interested in this. And I think it's part of it is the intriguing kind of what if. I mean, I imagine that there's some people that have lots of weapons and they're ready to pick off all the hordes that are coming to their house to raid their <laughs> cash of what else. That's just not my thing. But I think that's like the dream scenario. I, we know a guy with a bunch of weapons thinks he needs to be able to outgun the police if they come for him. Not that he is doing anything wrong, but just in case they come. And there's a lot of follow-up questions I don't have clear answers to. But nevertheless, it's the, it makes him feel safe and secure. So if doing these classes, if having these assets at your hands, your fingertips allows you to be better prepared, then great. Do you know what the, large, the fastest growing group of gun owners is? Uh, no. Men who are not the primary earners in their household. Mm -hmm. So perhaps if you're a man that's not the primary owner of the household, that is just not working, just sitting around, you feel your job is to be prepared for the coming whatever and to get all the assets ready to defend your family. And that gives you a sense of value and purpose. Fantastic. If that's something that works for you, great. It is not necessarily me 
but there is a whole world of people spanning all areas that are interested in this. And thus also there's many survival shows, which we love. We currently just started a show called Alone. People are up in uh, the Arctic Circle and if they can make it a hundred days with nothing, then they can win a million dollars. And we're very intrigued. Right, I, I, that's, that's part of it. I think there is a romantic notion because I think people in the back of their minds like, could I do it? Could I survive, right? And as you're saying, like after a week, I think everybody would want out and to go back to Costco and, uh, and Olive Garden and stuff like that to survive. <laughs> but at, at the same time, there's, it's definitely a, a sexy sort of you know, romantic idea. And it's funny because I, I, th- I was thinking about when you were talking about people that have these bunkers and all these like weapons and this gear that's down there. And part of the reason why people love to go to stores like REI or Outdoor World is just to own gear, right? That's kind of cool that you don't really need, but it looks cool that you have it. You know, like you w- think about like those superhero movies or like Batman when he goes down to this like underground lair and he just has all this technology down there ready to like save the world. And in a way you could say like, this is our own little romantic notion of we're, we've been ready to prepare for the worst, but somebody in the article pushes back and they're like, look, all of this time and money that people are spending on getting ready for the apocalypse here, wouldn't they be better off just using that time and money to just like lobby local state and national government about like climate change policies? Like, shouldn't we be focusing maybe on solving maybe a problem that can be solved instead of getting ready for some like crazy unpredictable future? Yeah, that would be the wise thing to do, but that doesn't make you feel better today or this week. If I have my go bag and my motorcycle, which I do not have, although after reading these articles, I was looking at Craigslist of motorcycles. Um, <laughs> I need to teach my uh, one of my other family members to drive one. I thought this makes me feel better tomorrow. Like I could tomorrow wake up and realize I'm ready to go in case of something happening. And then I can sleep better at night. And that makes a difference. I can lobby my legislator. I can give some money to Greenpeace or whatever and feel like I've made a difference, but I don't feel like I've solved the problem. If I do the prepping, I feel like I'm ready. And ready for what? Climate change? Yes. Uh, Okay. The ocean levels are rising. Rainfall is weird and changing. That's not necessarily going to make my family die today or in danger of death today, but we're fairly wealthy in that we don't have tremendous concerns about food supply. I mean, the people that are the least well off are the ones that should be most concerned. And it seems like from the article that could be the case, because if you're in New Orleans or somewhere like that, you need to be ready. That's true. I would argue you should just evacuate New Orleans now and find a a new place. But one thing I was thinking about as you were just talking there was, do you think it's interesting that like a person could go to like a local government meeting now and try to say, hey, I'd love to see the fuel efficiency of the municipal trucks increased by two miles a gallon. And they're most likely to get laughed at for picking this like little policy that might try to put a little less carbon to the atmosphere then if that same person made a YouTube video of them putting a bunch of SpaghettiOs down in a basement as they're getting ready for the apocalypse, right? I mean, do you find that weird that like, at this point, we might laugh at somebody who tries to make a policy change instead of somebody who's just trying to get ready for the worst? I mean, I almost feel like it's like weight loss, right? You can either have the surgery or you can just start eating a little less and moving a little more and trying to lose that weight that way. 
but we love the extreme solutions. It seems like there's different groups who would find each point more admirable. I think you could find more, uh, more viewers probably on YouTube. If you stockpiled three pallets of SpaghettiOs, which is <laughs> nightmarish to think about. I don't think I've had a SpaghettiO in 25 years, but hopefully it has a little cut piece of meat in there or something like that. I think it was a meatball. Oh uh, yes. The meatballs. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know which is going to give you more views, but I think that whatever makes you sleep better is the point that I'm making is that it's all about giving people peace of mind. And if having a handgun and lots of ammo in your house makes you have peace of mind, then that's what has you peace of mind. As long as you can do so responsibly. Great. For me, I would not have peace of mind that way, but I think that I, uh, would like to have an electric vehicle, but it's just economically not tremendously uh, wise at the moment, but I would feel a little better about it. Would I sleep that much better? Not really. Yeah, no, that's true. I, I mean, I guess one question I had is these, these rich guys that are going to have their own private security teams, how are they going to pay them? I mean, I would assume society has collapsed <laughs> and therefore money is probably useless, right? We're going to have to have a new form uh, stocking gold bars doesn't seem very efficient. I, I guess like have that, I would lo- I, maybe it's Bitcoin. I, I don't know how you transferring it. I guess like I would love to know because I would assume these are people that have thought about a lot of stuff. They've probably thought about how they're going to pay them or compensate them. I, I'd be curious what their plan is for that because clearly like society is over. I mean, people say, oh my gosh, I've got to own gold and, and these metals as a hedge against my stock portfolio because of the idea that society will collapse. But my thing is, is none of that's going to matter. Like you can't liquidate any of this stuff. It's not going to really help you. Like you're probably better off just having like, again, a, a pallet of SpaghettiOs. You can at least trade those. If you're very wealthy and if you've accumulated the evacuation evacuation resources, I remember reading about one prepper and they had enough uh, room on the plane for the pilot and the pilot's family, as well as at the destination, wherever they're going. A lot of them go to New Zealand because they think that that's going to be a fairly resilient and isolated place. It's an but, island nation. Yeah, it's a nice place. They have tough, it's tough to get through customs there, but I guess customs is gone if there's the zombie apocalypse. But the point is that (laughs) there's the incentive for the pilot and the security forces is we'll all get on the plane together. Here's our new family. I'm the money guy and have all the resources. And then the people around me have all these skills, whether it's being pilot or security or whatnot. And we're going to get to our safety thing wherever and live isolated ever after i'm not sure what happens then you know that's the hard part is like what if you're there for a month for six months when do uh when do you just say oh forget it i'm going back out i i just i can't i can't do this well and maybe you know you you go to your new zealand compound and maybe as we just said like here's a bunch of people that need each other right some people are going to provide the security other people are going to probably you know take over a herd of sheep and just start producing mutton and maybe you start society that way or but that way but like ultimately it's people needing people still and i think that that's something that just seems kind of lost in this and i don't know my, my wife once asked me every once in a while climate change is definitely bothering her and she said well what are we going to do and i i to be honest i don't really have a plan i've not thought a lot about this and maybe people are going to be laughing at me when i can't make a fire out there in the middle of the road but I, I eventually said, well, this is our plan. We are going to walk to our friend Chad Sweat's house. He's got some land. He's got farms. He, he grows his own food. Like he's the most resourceful man I know on this planet. 
I guess we're just going to pledge to live there and, and work as he sees fit. And hopefully he'll take care of us. Is, is that a bad plan? <laughs> uh, it's the, it's not a terrible plan. He's got chickens too. And you can raise those and get more eggs. Exactly. Um, you got, uh, you got that as a, as something. I don't think we can accurately predict what this is going to be like the anguish, the stress, the reality is too far. I mean, I, you have to be a sci-fi writer to really think this through. I mean, I can think through the first week of no water, no electricity, no uh, no government. But beyond that, it starts to get pretty hazy about how you secure food. You can't show up at Chad's house in the fall and say, do you have food for us to get through the winter? No, he doesn't have food for him to get through the winter. And it's not going to be, he's going to have to depend on his family and whatnot. It's, it's not that likely and it's not that easy. And I think that's the illusion. And it's the whole, that's my point about it. it gives you peace of mind. It gives you peace of mind, even though it's an illusion that you can get by for however long. There's probably somebody stockpiling stuff and super self-sufficient in Alaska that are doing really well and could go for a long time until they get sick. That's ultimately the end game is at some point you're going to get sick and need a doctor or you're going to need some sort of helper help from a professional and you can't get it, or you can't get the supplies to fix your well or whatnot. And then now you're really trying to scramble. It's an illusion that any, for any of us to think that we can make it more than a week without some sort of outside help. I think you're right. And yet for some reason, people are really visualizing this. I mean, I just still think this is so unthinkable, so unimaginable. And yet maybe that's, really naive of me, right? I, again, I have, uh, I probably have a week or two supply of food, but that's just because of, I went to Costco and we bought in bulk, right? <laughs> it's not like I've got cans anywhere in my house. I can remember Y2K, the, the changing over from 1999 to 2000. And I was at my friend's house for New Year's Eve. And I'll always remember sitting around, we were watching the ball drop on television, whatever. I was in high school at the time. All of a sudden his dad at around 7 p.m., brought in like one of those like huge blue plastic kiddie pools, you know, with like the little turtle turtle icon in the, in the middle of it or whatever. And he just started filling it in the middle of his living room with water. And I, I mean, he filled, I don't know, 25, 30 gallons of water in that thing. And, and we just kind of kept watching him fill. And then eventually when he was done, we were just like, um, this is different. What, what's going on? He's like, well, I'm now prepared. I don't know what this Y2K thing is. And if it's something, then at least we've got fresh water until they solve it. I remember thinking he was crazy. And then of course, Y2K came and nothing happened and the water was still going. And therefore we just had a bathtub full of water in the living room, but maybe he's onto something, right? Just do a couple random small things. And I guess you're kind of ready. So Y2K, for those that don't aren't aware, was the idea that the programming of all the computers was based upon um, four years, whereas 199 or whatever, and that when it went to 2000, it was going to throw off all the computer code and all the computers, and the all the computers and electric systems would fall apart. And at that point, the University of Michigan put a security guard in every building overnight because they were ready for it to go down. And, and, and I went to my friend's house in Powell and we hung out on a lake and made bad choices, but we were out in the middle of nowhere <laughs> on a lake and we we're ready just in case we we're somewhere safe. And it, again, like you said, nothing happened. 
But again, it's the illusion that's the, okay, great. You got that. You also have 55, 60 gallons of water in your water heater that's clean and there. And you can drain your water heater and last for a few weeks with fresh water. That's I not have, sexy though. A, a kiddie pool in your living room is romantic, right? Like you're right. Like there's some very basic thinking and yet we weren't doing that on that night. No, but the, it made him feel better. Like, okay, now I'm okay. That's, that's again, just the, uh, it's just making him feel better. And so, yeah, great, whatever. I, I, I don't think anybody is actually prepared for the reality or very, very few people are prepared for the reality. Or if they were, yeah, it, it just seems so far-fetched. Well, even if Y2K had happened, it's not like we all would have went running out of my buddy's house, taking to the streets and building snow tents. We would have stayed in their house. We would have probably put a blanket around ourselves or whatever, and then just kind of wrote it out, right? And that's part of why I thought this was such a strange article was everybody's outdoors learning wilderness survival when, again, modern infrastructure of settlement is everywhere in America. Therefore, like, wouldn't a better approach to all this if we're going to do this would be to just start building like FEMA trailer parks or start like having people like call their relatives in different parts of the nation and asking like, hey, can I come and stay with you? Or how do you go and um, I don't know, like live with less stuff? How do you like live without a phone? Um, you know, maybe just learn how to like like miss a meal or, or not always have like, like full water in your belly or something like that. Like, I feel like maybe we should just like, like make some adjustments to like how we live around our modern infrastructure than just throw it all away, leave it behind us and go live in the woods. Yeah. I don't know where you're going. If you're fleeing fire or flood, that makes sense. But it are like, you have a house, I have a house. It's well insulated. It is, even if the heat goes off and the air and the water goes off, it's still a really nice dry shelter that you're going to be able to stay in for a long time. And you might not have a tremendous amount of food in your house, but you can go about a month or so or six weeks without food, as long as you have water. And you can scramble some here or there and you'll be okay. Beyond that horizon, then we're talking pretty remote possibilities. But why would you leave your home unless your home is threatened? I, I'm not sure I get that. Maybe if you have your uh, family cabin up somewhere where you have more space, but I guess the biggest fear is that from the other humans and what right. are they going to do and come for my things? And I mean, I, I guess if that happens, it happens. I'm, I guess then un unwise in that I don't have any firearms in my house to defend my family, but I'm not sure I want to do watch for 24 hours and be killing people on my front lawn. That seems to be a little bit out of my comfort zone. I don't know if I can do that. Well, you bring up a really good point. Why are we so afraid of each other? Because in a lot of ways, I feel like that's maybe a deep-seated fear among a lot of people is all of a sudden things go crazy and now we're afraid of each other. I mean, a long time ago, Michael Moore made a documentary, Bowling for Columbine, which sort of was exploring gun culture in America. And one of, I think, the interesting kind of like questions he raises is after doing lots of interviews and kind of walking around is like, America just generally seems to be afraid of each other. Once again, we talk about that idea of like living alone and not trying to like solve a major catastrophe like this together or collectively, but to just sort of splinter off by ourselves. You kind of bring up that point again. And I, and I wonder if in sort of reading these articles and thinking through it, I guess my biggest takeaway is why are we so eager to go live alone and to leave most of the life that we you know, kind of live around now to go live in the woods? What, why is that in our mindset, I guess? 
Well, I guess the reality is the biggest danger is the other humans. And how pessimistic are we in assuming that they're all coming for our throats? Right. Why are we so pessimistic about that, though? That's the part that just doesn't make sense. Like, ultimately, like we are a very giving society. We give tons of money to charity every year. People do fun runs and people volunteer their time. And yet it's like it's like the first thing we assume is that everybody just becomes evil. Well, we pay some around 25% of our income to taxes to support the greater society. And so we do this all the time. You know who would believe this and be right in this discussion is Thomas Hobbes, who believed right. that uh, without government, humans' life would be nasty, brutish, and short. And I think that's exactly what it would be if government ceases to exist. And maybe those with the most weapons last the longest. But I don't think anybody's lasting that long anyway. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, you're right. I mean, that was his opinion of, of humans. And yet I, a part of me wants to wonder if maybe we would rise up, maybe communities would start taking care of each other. Maybe. I mean, maybe I'm also just sort of living in a Pollyannish sort of way, but it, it's just sort of an interesting topic and, and just sort of an interesting thing that's going on out there. And maybe next summer I'll, I'll send my kids a survival camp and stuff like that. Because this was the other thing I sort of thought was interesting when you're sending kids under the age of nine to these kind of camps where they're clearly having discussions about, you know, why we're doing this and stuff like that is, do you think it's an appropriate topic to Start talking with your elementary age kids about, look, like we're doing this because society's fragile. It's on the verge of collapse. We need to be ready. Well, I don't think that portion of it is, but I think overall self-reliance is very, very important. Um, my boys are 12 and 14 currently. They know how to cross the street. They know how to make a fire. They know how to change a tire in a car. They know how to do these basic things. And I think it's important to be self-reliant. I mean, we're doing no favors to our children by shielding them from being unable to handle a situation. Things happen. We went out with some friends and a tornado warning came and our boys got into the basement and took care of themselves. They make their own dinner. I mean, I don't think that makes us absentee parents. I think it's better preparing them for their future, which is unlikely to include an apocalypse, but it's likely to include other things where they need to be able to do things on their own. And like our podcast last week talked about allowing raising boys to be able to handle their emotions and to self-soothe. I mean, part of this is just being able to handle life. Can you do your own laundry? Can you fix a tire? Can you do these things? Can you get the chain back on your bike? I mean, these are all things that my kids have learned, not that I'm the greatest parent or that they're the greatest kids, but that they are just getting these skills. And sure, going away, learning to make a fire, learning to uh, make a lean-to, that's good for people to have just building skills and confidence. No, you're right. There's nothing wrong with all of that. I just, I guess the idea of sitting down and saying there might become a time when we have to leave this place. Well, where are we going? We're going to the woods or we're, we're just, we're hacking it West or something like that. That just seems like a weird conversation, but until then have some more fruit loops. We're going to go to Disney world for our vacation, but be ready. That's the very beginning of the Black Widow movie uh, streaming on your favorite Disney Plus now is they get, they're ready to go and then they go. And so it is, uh, it is interesting to have that background. The idea there's a, oh my goodness, there's a woman that wrote a book about being raised in a fundamentalist uh, kind of cultish situation. And like you have to be wary of the outsiders because they may come for you at any time. And that's just a strange message to be underlying everything. And I think it creates a natural sort of fear but it's not really healthy but right, i think the message that some people th say 
boy, we read something, a paragraph almost a year ago where there was a, a woman who wrote about as a kid, she was a part of a cult and they were all waiting for the aliens to come and take them to Venus, I think, or something like that. Right. And all these kids were packed up, they had their suitcases and then it didn't happen. And I just think, uh, you know, sometimes that over-preparedness maybe, um, and then trying to deal, deal with the fallout of, yeah, this didn't really happen. Like don't put all your eggs in the apocalypse basket, I guess. I just don't know what else they're not focusing on is that, you know, the day-to-day has enough demands trying to meet all those needs and wants and desires and essentials. That's, that takes enough. I don't know how you're doing all these other things on the side. It really must take a toll on uh, your preparation for just getting things done. Or you have a lot more free time than I do. I don't know what's, what I'm doing wrong here. The final question then is, okay, so you're kind of pro at least uh, working with your kids to become self-reliant and stuff like that. Do you think our public schools should be teaching these sorts of skills and stuff like that. I mean, right now, big focus on reading math and and writing, but maybe those skills are totally useless. If we're having to hack it out in there in the woods again, should we be spending some more time on, on building a fire being outside, or maybe just learning to go without food or water for a meal and stuff like that? It's tough because there's some kids that are just barely getting enough skills to make it through high school and those skills that are absolutely essential to make do the best in society are math reading problem solving skills and that's the big focus and for some kids that's all they can do to get through and have those skills which allow them to make more money in the long run and so maybe for them i i should we have electives like this absolutely my wife took a survival class in high school I know we did a little one in elementary school when I was a kid, but I would absolutely think it'd be great for my high school kids, my kids to uh, take that class. I mean, it's not probably to take the place of algebra, or maybe it should. I'm not sure how important algebra is anyway. Well, we know schools sometimes can be slow to adjust, and therefore, maybe this is it. But I guess that's part of one of these mismatches. Again, you've got a, a movement of people out there wanting to be prepared, but yet we're still trying to prepare kids for careers in, in a technological society and stuff like that. And I, I guess maybe once we start seeing more and more electives, you know, maybe we'll know that uh, we're getting closer to this day. Yeah. Don't put me in charge of electives because you all, a lot of people would be unhappy with the results. I can tell you what I think is worthwhile and what is not. And that'd be a certainly a good choice in my mind. It just, because it's interesting to me, I'm not sure it'd be interesting to other people. Maybe being a better TikTok person or YouTube person would be more valuable to many people. That's true. Electives, usually there's a lot of value statements placed in it. I would just, I would like to see that if society started really valuing those kinds of skills and stuff like that. Do you think it's ironic though, that, you know, humanity's been on the planet for around 200,000 years or so. And the first 190,000 of those years, we were hunter gatherers and living in this exact way that we're trying to reteach people. It's almost like kind of some people are trying to get ready to that. We might have to go back to it. Well, then we come back to the same problem, which is the number of people. How many people did the earth sustain as hunter-gatherers? Hundreds of millions, maybe? We had 7 billion people on this planet. Can we sustain 7 billion people as hunters and gatherers? No, we don't have enough property for that. We don't have enough to hunt and gather. What makes us capable of sustaining this tremendous population is the industrial industrial agriculture that we depend on. 
And that's got many negative externalities that go along with it. The massive flows of pesticides and fertilizers that get us enough food and industrial meat production, which gets us all the bacon we desire. Still, that's what makes it capable of sustaining this many people. If we're going to be hunter and gatherers, then we're going to have, instead of 350 million in America, we're going to have 3 million, which means 99 every, out of every 100 person dies, which means we're already in a tremendously bad situation. Lifespan will fall. How do we think this is really going to work well for anybody? It probably doesn't. It doesn't at all. And, and you're right. Like only in settled society can we have this many people, but it just seems like we're, we're training to go back. And I, I think that's just sort of, um, you know, something I kind of noticed with these things is once again, it doesn't seem like these training schools are trying to help people live among the ruins of, of uh, the settled civilization that we've built. No, it's the post-apocalyptic 99% of people are dead. Are you going to survive and how are you going to survive? Which um, I'm not sure it's going to be a tremendously pleasant or long life at that situation as is. Well, hopefully we'll uh, find a way to keep doing our podcast somehow. As long as Zoom stays up, then we'll be okay. We can uh, gather people around the fire and tell stories and bemoan our lack of dental care. Oh, that would be it. We could just do a live one around the fire, a live show. And I'm sure people would pay us in food or something like that, right? Yeah, and I know how to brew beer. So I think I can, uh, I, I think I can uh, sell that or barter that for other <laughs> goods and services. So we'll be okay. You can have my brewed beer if you listen to me talk. Hey, I'll trade you that for food and shelter. That's pretty good. Well, hopefully we never see uh, this future. And uh, I just think it's sort of an interesting thing that's going on out there among all the other things in America. And uh, we'll have to keep tabs on it and check if we're any closer uh, next year to this reality than, uh, than today. And if this podcast is still posted, then it hasn't happened yet. That's true. Keep listening because you know that we're, if we're not there, then it's all over. <laughs> well, Don, it's been a pleasure talking with you this week. Look forward to talking with you next week. Absolutely, Zach. All right. Take care. Bye-bye.